Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. Thank you. Great to be back. It's great to be back. Yeah. Hey, by the way, we had uh, last week a singer-songwriter from Wales, like from the United Kingdom. Uh, We're all hooked up on, let's, you know, don't try to fool anybody. We're all hooked up on a Zoom call. And since we've been sort of changed because of COVID now for several years, and we even our opening says live from the Folk School Coffee Parlor in downtown Ludlow, Kentucky, blah, blah, blah. And we, that's not accurate. Uh, we've been doing this on Zoom. With the <laughs> That's advantage. been alive for a while. <laughs> I know. Been lying for a while. But the cool thing is, there's a cool side of it, which is singer-songwriters who join us in the third part of our three-part episodes of Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery. So the tunes part, they can come from anywhere. So we've got Josh Bettis, a folk singer-songwriter from Wales. And I've got to tell you, folks, do not leave before this episode's ever because this dude is really good. And we were talking last week, Megan, you were talking to him about influences. And he mentioned Ralph Stanley of the Stanley Brothers, which is like a early country folk, uh, bluegrassy kind of sound. Uh, and, you know, one of the founders of a genre of music. And when you hear Josh, isn't it true? Like you said, Megan, this guy could be from like West Virginia or yep. from Kentucky. We're going to adopt him. <laughs> very good. And he told us that those were some of his influences, a lot of Amer- American uh, roots music singers. So we'll hear from Josh in a minute. And we always start off the episode with uh, really the best part, uh, I have to say, is Jerry's uh, thoughts on a topic. And w- we never know exactly what it is. We always get kind of a hint. And we hear it for the first time, too, which is wonderful. And, uh, Jerry, I know that we talked in uh, even the last episode about the January 6th hearings, plural. They just roll on. And we, yeah. uh, so and and there are, uh, you know, some heroes coming out of that. And some of them maybe we didn't A, anticipate, B, even know, even ever heard of. Well, so what's not, your take? Not as many as you think, actually. Okay. Um, former federal judge Mike Luddick, widely viewed as an intellectual leader of the conservative movement, a man of unimpeachable integrity, delivered a headline moment in the congressional hearings investigating the January 6th insurrection when he testified with these words, Donald Trump and his allies are a clear and present danger to American democracy, end quote. These words delivered by a highly respected judge have legal significance. Clear and present danger is defined as a risk or threat to safety or other public interests that is serious and imminent. Well, Judge Luddick made clear what he was referring to. Again, in his words, they in 2024 If Trump or his anointed successor would lose, they would attempt to overturn the election just as they tried to do in 2020, end quote. Obviously, this classifies as a threat to our public interest, indeed to the very soul of America, our democracy. The historical impact of these hearings is bolstered by the fact that virtually all the evidence and testimony implicating Trump came from fellow Republicans, Trump administration officials, and members of his own family. Now, their admissions under oath of his behavior confirmed what most Americans already suspected, but as despicable as is what these people did or tolerated, there's at least some comfort in knowing that there was some line of behavior these people would not cross. Maybe it was their patriotism, Maybe it was that they found their integrity. Maybe it was simply fear of committing perjury. Whatever, it certainly was appreciated. But let's be clear, there are no heroes here. 
And we can start with former Vice President Pence. No question, at the last moment, he rejected Trump's threats and saved our republic by certifying the election results in each of the states, thereby making Joe Biden president of the United States. While the Capitol was being attacked and the air outside filled with tear gas and Trump-inspired chants in the hallways of Hang Mike Pence, he calmly and resolutely performed his constitutional duty. Of course, his courage and sense of responsibility is to be admired, but he is not a hero. He could have stated publicly during all the weeks leading up to the insurrection that he was not going to overturn the people's vote as Trump wanted. And then we probably wouldn't have even had a January 6th riot. There would have been no reason for all these people to have come to Washington that day. He permitted the big lie to fester. And in fact, he spent that time looking for a way out. He asked former Vice President Dan Quayle if there was any way he could do what Trump wanted. He even sought advice from the aforementioned Judge Luddick. Is there a way we can do this? The point being, if Pence could have found a way to reject the people's vote, he would have. He wasn't looking for the moral North Star. He was looking for some way, perhaps a technicality, that he could use to deliver to Trump four more years the people be damned. He further punctures any notion he's a hero by continuing his refusal to testify under oath, informing the American people what Trump was planning, doing, or not doing regarding the insurrection. I mean, wouldn't it have been helpful to have heard what is now being testified to at the time of Trump's second impeachment? This entire mess could have been avoided. No question, Pence had a good day on January 6, 2021. Thanks for that. But a hero, not so much. Now, what about Bill Stepien, Trump's former campaign manager? When we heard his testimony under oath, he said that the people advising Trump could be divided into two camps, what he called Team Normal, the professional class of political advisors, and Team Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, and the wackos who were detached from reality, unwilling to accept that Trump had lost, concocting all kinds of theories, illegal and unconstitutional, to to, uh, boost their fantasy. Sapien and so many others, in his words, didn't mind being characterized as team normal. He said that he thought he had built up a pretty good reputation over the years that he's honest and professional. And when Trump and the campaign veered away from honesty and professionalism toward Team Rudy, he, Sepien, stepped away. Certainly sounds honorable enough that in the end, he would not support the big lie, but once again, hardly heroic. Because what took him so long? Why put the country through this until a subpoena and the necessity of telling the truth under oath finally brings out the truth. What is even more disqualifying of a hero's crown is the revelation that while testifying how his conscience and reputation wouldn't permit him to continue working for Trump, he at the very same time hires himself out to manage the campaign of Harriet Hageman, in her effort to unseat Congresswoman Liz Cheney Mm -hmm. and Donald and the most courageous public figure seeking to uncover the corruption and crimes of said Donald Trump. Wow. If Bill Stepien is so outraged by what happened on January 6th and the administration's role in its execution, then how can he now possibly account for the morality of going after the woman, Liz Cheney, who's put her political life on the line to see that this doesn't happen again. Some hero. Which brings us to who I see as the most hypocritical player in this entire scandal. The one least worthy to wear the hero's mantle. And that would be the attorney general at the time, Bill Barr. And yes, I get it. 
He's very bright, very accomplished, and under oath called Trump's big lie BS, undercut Trump's telling of it at a critical time, and also resigned rather than giving this cruel fiction any oxygen. That's all good, late, but good. But what classifies him as the greatest hypocrite of all is that after testifying that Trump was untethered from reality, that it's all BS, that he's basically bonkers, unfit for office, and yes, he, Barr, will work hard to see that Trump doesn't get the Republican nomination for president in 24. He then says in a network interview <coughs> that nevertheless, if by chance Trump does get it, does get the nomination, he will vote for him, for Trump, rather than a Democrat. Really? So much for country over party. How little respect does one have for America that he would rather support a candidate who admittedly would overthrow our democracy and refuse the peaceful transfer of power in defiance of the vote of the people, he would rather support that candidate than someone of a different political party. Thank God all the young men and women who over the years have fought and died defending our country and its democracy didn't have that callous disregard for our flag and our constitution. Yeah, those are good accountings. You know, Jerry, and I've said yeah. it before, and I, I sit here and I listen to you, and it's been, what, 20-something years that we've been working together. Gosh darn it, are you good at this shit? <laughs> oh, you, I mean, so you, you quoted, you just quoted half of Bill Barr. Half of Bill Barr. <laughs> the second, second part of BS. <laughs> now you're really good, and, the, and that breakdown is just... <clears throat> It's so good. And you always put such a personal, like, human spin on stuff. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank I've you. I learned a lot from you, Jer. Learned a lot. Yeah, but, but don't learn some things from me. <laughs> no, I've, I've learned what to tune out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> two people that, and I don't think you'll disagree with this, uh, even based on what you just presented, and you referenced her, Liz Cheney. Yeah, it's been pretty stand up in this whole yeah. thing. And and she is very likely to lose, very likely to get smoked. And uh, I say, God bless her for and, and I think her politics are largely just lunatic compared to my views. Yeah, but I don't care. And, and we yeah. talked about this other episodes. You sent her money. I sent her money. You sent a bunch. I sent her at my level, which was quite different. And I did a dollar fifty. So okay, well, there you go. <laughs> I can tell you she's hounding me or people are hounding me for more money. And I now just forward them on to Jerry's house. I know <laughs> um, and oh. Cass, Cassidy Hutchinson, who testified only recently. Yes. And she she has been impressive. Uh, very, yeah. To me, extremely impressive as a young woman who uh -huh. just said, F it, I'm going to go in there and tell all the truth. And, and oh, she's man, answered every I question. Agree. And That's she's true. so, and and her her here's my take on her. One part of her career is over. Mm. There are there are people who will never hire her. And then on the other hand, uh, another part of her career that's about to open. The same is true of Liz Cheney, and maybe it's in media for both of them. I don't know uh, or other activities that are political. But I just uh, give props to uh, Cassidy Hutchinson. But, for sure. Hey, you know, maybe maybe yeah. they'll decide to to start, as I talked about the other day, is, uh, another political party. I mean, they're both Republican. You know, they may just decide. You, you know, know what I think, Jerry, I think that they should be the uh, fourth and fifth people on this podcast. I think that would really be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> they're dying to be they're dying to be a part of it. Yeah, I, 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 I could. Yeah. In fact, her dad is always calling me. Jerry, <laughs> <laughs> can't you get my daughter a job? <laughs> such a nerd. Oh, my God. You are such a nerd. <laughs> hey, on a previous <clears throat> podcast, actually a couple of them, because it's been in the news, uh, 
we've talked about the the stopping of this thing called diversity day. And I want to set this mm -hmm. up by saying, I'm going to name a school district, which our listeners largely, mostly will not know of. And, you know, all due respect to everybody uh, nor care about because it's not their school district. It's called Forest Hills. It's the east side of Cincinnati. But here's why I propose to Jerry and Megan that we talk about this. This is the discussion we're about to have is not about, it is about Forest Hill School District, but it's much larger than that. And it yeah. is the fact that there seems to be a movement nationally from the Republican Party to infiltrate, take over, run people, win elections at the school board level. Now, why do that? Well, one, I'm sure they would love to have uh, very conservative, I would say extremely extreme views on the right side, impacting school policy, curriculum, hiring, et cetera. And I'm an old school person, so I kind of know what goes on in schools. And you can, and I, I taught a course at Xavier University, grad school of education called political structure and public relations. So it was a class about politics in schools. The forces both inside and outside of schools that impact schools. So this is my wheelhouse. I, I worry about this stuff. I get it. We found it, Gene. We found where you belong. There's where I belong. <laughs> so the this issue is about uh, the attempt to use school boards and the issues that jack up people, particularly in conservative communities, to win school board elections and take over those school boards. So. T tonight, I asked Dr. Uh, professor Wendy Strickler, who is a professor at Mount St. Joseph University, which is based in Cincinnati. She has been an educator in the Forest Hill School District, by the way, so she really knows what she's talking about. She's a parent of kids in the Forest Hill School District. By the way, I'll slide in. My two kids graduated from the Forest Hill School District, and I have three grandchildren right now in the Forest Hill School District. So I say this is a big national thing, but both Wendy and I, but more her, she is a former school board candidate last November ran unsuccessfully. And this school board that we're talking about, which effectively got four members of a five member board elected. So they pulled it off. So yes, Wendy, uh, tell us please, what policy was passed just several days ago uh, that is of concern to you and a whole bunch of people in Forest Hill? So give us, please, first, just the backdrop. Okay. Hi, Dr. Strickler. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here with you guys. Hi, Jerry. I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to talk about this. Uh, I'll be honest, sure. I'm grateful and embarrassed all in the same breath. I used to be very proud be. Of, of the <laughs> district that we lived in and its caliber and its reputation. Um, and yeah. I'm very, very saddened that, that this is the conversation we're having. Um, a, a little bit of backdrop, which which you guys have addressed. And, and Jerry, the, the point you made about um, you know, party over country, country over party, I, I, I feel the same thing happening around this issue. There's this emotional pull um, and I, I guess, to some degree, went into this election naively thinking kids over party, you know, community <laughs> over party in, in much right. the same way. Um, but the, the anti-critical race theory rhetoric that really became, um, I think, public around spring of 2021 kind of galvanized our community. And I was I was very um taken aback by it as an educator. Uh, we had um, people coming out to protest at board meetings for the first time ever, anti-CRT. And to be very honest with you, I, nor any of the educators I asked, knew what that even was. So I really? found myself going home and looking up this term and watching YouTube videos and looking up researchers and, and trying to understand. And, and honestly, at the, early on, dismissed it as this is high level legal theory on systems. We're not teaching this to kindergartners. Go ask your teachers, we're not. Um, and got into more illogical conversations than I can count where I would say, this isn't happening. Help me understand what you think is happening. And the response was, well, you're doing it and you need to stop. 
So I went back. And so what research. was, so Dr. Strickler, like, what was you're doing it? Like when you say you're doing it, like, what was that? What did that CRT look like? The RT literally could not be defined any <laughs> further than that. I mean, it was the most illogical, yeah. cyclical conversations. Like, tell me what you think is happening. Well, teachers are having students stand up and declare themselves the oppressors. No, that's not no. happening. Go ask your children. If they yeah. that happen, and I'll go. So, ask where them. were these? Like, where is that coming from? Like, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I've I've heard this all before too, but I like, where is this starting from? Do you know? Like, do you have any idea? I, I am not going to pretend to have all the answers, but I will tell you this: I'm a researcher at heart. So I've ended up in my current position, and so I've started researching and asking around, and thus far, I've been able to find at least two playbooks from Republican conservative organizations that follow this exact procedure of here are the questions you need to start asking. And one of them even says, and this actually kind of helped me understand a little better. It specifically said, the first thing you need to do is ask if it's happening and they're going to tell you no. And when they tell you no, that's your first indication that it's happening. Wow. And I thought, oh my gosh, how do you... Logic through this, if you decided when I tell you no, come in and see my classroom and decide for yourself that you don't want to do that, but you're not going to entertain the notion that it really couldn't be, that this playbook from 10,000 feet from I'm not sure where has a better understanding of what's happening in the district than your teachers. Than you do. Yes. So I found myself very, very frustrated. And uh, I'll tell you a quick semi-funny story, just as an aside, I was telling people, ask your children, ask your kid's teacher who you send them to every day, please ask somebody who you have a relationship with, not Facebook. And um, no real respect to Facebook Live. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm in the car with my 14-year-old driving home. I had found an individual moment with each of my kids. And I said, have you ever had a conversation about CRT? And he said, yes. And my head spun sideways. And he looked at me with this 14 year old smirk on his face. And he says, well, isn't this a conversation? And I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks. So I said, okay, outside of, this car, right? outside of this car in this conversation. And he said, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I explained a little and he said, no, mom, none of that is happening. Um, so I asked my children three in the district at three different buildings. Story moves forward, this gained traction and unfortunately was able to dismantle the work that was happening in our district around um, teacher work to try to better understand the students who are in their classroom who bring diverse experiences, Um, not in any negative way, nothing pejorative, not asking students to do anything, but just because we know when teachers have relationships with their students, they can better engage students and students will feel more welcome and they'll be more ready to learn. So from professor, an academic, from a whole child standpoint, this, this all makes Professor, sense. I want you to keep moving right along with what yes. you're doing, but let me interject and check me if my figures are wrong. So our listeners know Forest Hills, it, when you ask people in surveys, what race are you? 87% report Caucasian or white. So it does, you do have in the district, a percentage of people of color, and they could be Hispanic, Latino, Latina, they could be Asian, et cetera, Native American, but it's largely a Caucasian school board, uh, pardon me, a school district. Okay, keep going then with where where you're going. Yes, you're absolutely right. And so even in conversations with teachers about this, it wasn't ever just a conversation about, about race. It was race, gender, socioeconomic status, language of origin, religion, um, you name it. It was just a recognition that we all bring unique experiences to the table. And part of those are the cultural characteristics that we bring. Um, but that conversation was was squelched early on as as divisive as CRT, which which it's not. And of course, these are nuanced so issues. Was, it, but there is a was, separation. So just so that I can clarify. So it was a yeah. conversation simply about differences from what I'm gathering from you. And now that is deemed as critical race theory. Correct, because nobody could really define what it was. So it became a um, trigger word, for lack of a better term, for anything related to diversity. So fast forward to this past fall, we had four candidates who got the, the Republican endorsement by running on this manufactured crisis and running a campaign around 
anti-CRT, which is critical race theory. They then said that social emotional learning is also a euphemistic term for CRT. Which, I've heard that, yeah. Yes, which social emotional learning is what we all have to learn in terms of critical skills of, of communicating, yeah. getting along with others, working in a group, problem solving, emotional regulation. There are a lot of pieces to that puzzle. Which Human interaction in, in general. <laughs> yes. So I'd like you to tell a kindergarten teacher that they can no longer help their students figure out how to regulate when somebody takes their crayon. And, you know, we have mayhem, but that's that's another story. So they ran on anti-CRT, anti-social um, emotional learning, and the platform of educate, don't indoctrinate. Back to the basics. Teachers should only be teaching reading, math, social studies, science, end of story. And unfortunately, I was naive enough to believe that, that we were in a um, middle class, upper middle class district, highly educated, where uh, people would see beyond that a little bit more than they did. And um, unfortunately, fear came out to vote to a large degree. Um, we also did have too many candidates in the pool, and there are other factors that come into play. But fear mongering was a major capital um, in bringing people out to vote. And the four running on that platform swept the four seats that were available. And we now have a board in our district uh, of individuals running on falsely created problems. Wow. And the uh, jump forward then to the yeah. final shoe to drop, Thank which you. is the policy yeah. the other day. Uh, tell us uh, about that policy that provoked Nick, you told me the other night, 23 people lined up to speak to the school board as they were about to vote on this policy, which you'll describe. Yes. And as I recall, 22 of them spoke against that policy. Do not do this policy. One person spoke for it. What was that policy that did pass on a three to two vote? This is a policy, and although they said it was not political, they then made the argument that they ran anti-CRT, so they were now seeing that through, which mm -hmm. kind of belied that argument. I will give you the title first. It is a resolution to create a culture of kindness and equal opportunity for all students and staff, which sounds really good on first glance, mm -hmm. but is as oxymoronic as they come when you actually get into the policy. The policy in short order, and I'm happy to go through the, the bullets as much or as little as you'd like. Now just give us a summary. Under of no circumstances in any situation should there be conversations, students, um, assignments that require, guide, or nudge students to consider race, socioeconomic status, religion, gender, identity, sexual orientation, ethnicity, culture in any of their work that might involve a label, label or stereotype that might have students reflecting on their identities based on any of those cultural characteristics um, so that might impact any academic programs or evaluation. So basically, we will not acknowledge any difference anywhere ever. We're just going to treat everybody the same. So Dr. Strickler, like, let me ask you then, like when we're looking at grade school children and kindergarten children, like they're is a difference we need to talk about it so what does that do as far as teachers go and as far as what like do you just have to dismiss all of this now that's a great question and i will tell you in order of concern my first concern is our kids and our families in this community who consider themselves diverse or different in any way because this sure. pushes them into the shadows and my second concern is the teachers whose jobs are potentially at risk if they continue to, I don't know, read the diary of Anne Frank, um, right? discuss slavery or racial covenants in a history class. Um, a, a student comes to a counselor in middle school, they're struggling with an identity crisis around whichever of these cultural issues. Counselor can't talk to them at this point. I'm unclear. This resolution is so vague that it leaves an incredible amount of unknown. But instills fear in our diverse population that we do have here in our teachers in terms of what they can teach, what they can't teach, what they can say. And to your point, I'm picturing a kindergarten classroom where a new student comes in with some differences. Right. And a kindergarten teacher's normal response would be to talk through, here's how we're all alike, here's how we're differences. I wear glasses, you don't. You don't. I need them to see, you don't. It wouldn't make sense for us all to have them. There are ways to have this conversation at a very appropriate 
grade level way that acknowledge difference is okay and difference and is celebrate is special them. and celebrate them exactly but at this point the way this resolution is written it is unclear whether a teacher is able to have that conversation it actually reads much more that they should not and were a kindergartner to then go home talking about it and it would come to light their job could be at risk is how i'm wow. looking at it and these are the questions yeah go ahead if a, oh, if a junior high school student came in a few weeks ago into class and saw in the news the night before about uh, the mass killing in Buffalo, uh, where um, African-American people of color were, I think 11, uh, were mowed down. Uh, and the student asked the teacher, what was, what was that about? What is the teacher supposed to say? Or if the student asks, why did he just go and kill all the black people in a black neighborhood, African-American neighborhood? What, what is the teacher supposed to say? Gary, I wish I had an answer to that question. And that's what we're trying to figure out as a community right now, because those are the kind of questions we have is the way this is written. If school cannot force individuals to reflect, deconstruct or confront their identities based on race, then I can't answer that question. And I'm wow. giving you a, a snippet out of this. I'll, I'll give you even a more direct one that I understand what your answer is. I guess I'm asking yeah. a question where I kind of already know the answer that there is no I mean, way. I tell you what I'd like to be able to talk about as yeah. a teacher, but it is very <laughs> much I restricted. See, yeah. I could see after that, which was a, re a very real fear yes. that most of us had in our own families where our kids or grandkids would say, for example, what if you, you're an African-American family and wasn't there some kid in Forest Hills community, an African-American, that the next day went to school and said, mom, dad, do I have to be afraid? Yeah. In other words, he sees on the news the night before that 11 black kids were murdered, murdered. Do I have to be afraid because I'm black? What, what does the teacher say? We're not going to talk about that? Right. Does any parent think that's okay? Well, I, I, hey, Jerry, it's so ridiculous. Now, here's something that happened. And, and uh, Professor Strickler can add into this. Just, I think, yesterday, two other, uh, Dr. Strickler is a parent in the Forest Hill School District, two other parents who happen to be attorneys who have kids in the district threatened publicly, This I saw this in the media, lawsuits against yep. this school board for this policy that was passed last week directing them, you've got to rescind this. And they spelled out in the media stuff that they put out the basis, and you're an attorney, Jerry, we're not, spelled out the basis in which they would bring these lawsuits. And one, and they were constitutional. And one was uh, free, freedom, academic freedom, that goes to the yes. teachers. And then the threats to the kids, like you're talking about. The, yes. the, like like a kid who who needs, as Professor Strickler was saying, and this is her wheelhouse, who needs structures that help them. That's why I gave the percentage of the minority kids. Right. So that's around 10 percent. You could and even raise. That's a great point, Gene. And those kids need support. They need help yeah. from the staff and yep. not in a way that would make a Caucasian kid feel guilty. That isn't no. I'm no. an educator. We don't do that. Wendy's an educator. It's not we don't about do that. guilt. It's, it's, it's do about that. education. And by the yes. way, I as I was uh, in, in my career as an educator along the way, I was a number of things. And one of them was an English teacher. One of the books, I and I worked my whole life to integrate kids, by the way. That's what I did in the Cincinnati Public School for an entire career, which was to get white kids and black kids to come together in schools and have great educations learn about life, get to know each other, blah, blah, blah. A book I taught all the time, Richard Wright's Native Son. Phenomenal oh, book. book. You yeah, can't book. teach that damn book without having wonderful conversations. And difficult conversations. About our minds and our uh, our histories and what we bring to uh, 
our life experiences as young people. That's one of a number. I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird, Huckleberry Finn, there's so many books that provoke us. God bless to do those conversations. And doesn't this, aren't there state regulations uh, from state, from the state they're school testing, board? They're test questions. Right. When, isn't, history, isn't history yeah. one of the subjects in order to get accreditation for your school? So the lawsuit could be based on you're taking our tax dollars and refusing to do what the state requires, teaching our kids history. And the lawsuit could be based on that element uh, so I would file a suit on that issue that you're supposed to teach history. You've passed a policy which forbids the teachers to teach history. And, uh, and, and can I, I tell these two attorneys to get in touch with you that you just volunteered but to join the, the team? Are you going to file for us? That would be and well, fund it, and it's fund to what the Jean said earlier. It was eighty-seven percent white. Like you're not going to have. Like it's it's not the community in which that's going to support. Like, I love your idea. I think you're correct. However, you're going to not have the community support. It's 80 for 87%. The community the support for the, the academics. So I think we absolutely would because we've been a very highly rated school district because of Yeah. Yeah. As well, well as what it for is. AP classes, which yeah. I would believe are also in question. I agree. And it's, what and happened in Indiana when they tried to pass the divisive concepts bill yeah, and it was shot true. down when All the right. college board suggested they would renege accreditation. So there are so many questions on the table. And Jean, to your point of 22 people speaking at the board meeting, which was on the heels of 30 people speaking around the importance of diversity the previous month. But right. I was one of the people who spoke and I pleaded Please don't vote on this resolution until you understand the implications. And by the well, way, Jerry, it sounds like you have a, a way to go here, Jer. I think you can go ahead and do the lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, the issue. I like you, Megan. Gets, the issue only gets <laughs> to be practically relevant when it comes time to selecting a jury. But when you're filing the lawsuit on a constitutional basis, yeah. you know, you have grounds on it, I would argue. And then let a jury decide. And in selecting the jury, I think you will find people in Forest Hills, uh, in the Forest Hills School District, you know, any halfway reasonable parent that would say, yeah, I want my kid to learn history. Uh, you know, the deal is it'll be funny. The same kids filed. don't have a problem with a prayer and aren't prayers based on history. There you go. Are you not allowed to have a prayer, which mentions Jesus because he was a historical figure. Yeah. And it would be a federal lawsuit. The constitutional cases uh, are. And that puts it in the Southern District of Ohio. And it does impact the jury, though. It takes it out of a specific area and a broader area. And by the way, there's a final implication of this. The school board at the in the middle of all of this. And, and I watched the meeting the other night on a, you know, electronically. And I saw Leslie Rasmussen happens to be a professor at Xavier University and is a school board member and a parent. She is on the board. She's the fifth vote. And uh, she said in the meeting that the current superintendent, his name is Scott Prebles, as she put him in a quote, we ran him off. He has left the district. He hasn't left yet, but he's resigned and he's taking a job. I think it's Bay City up in the Cleveland area. And they just hired a new superintendent. They got down to three finalists. And guess what? After this policy passed the other night, one of the three said right. publicly, remove my name. They're going, they mean the board, they're going where I don't have that vision. I was proud of him. He said, I, I can't come into that situation because yeah. I don't I don't have the heart for where they the, I'm not. My heart's not where their hearts are. Yeah. They did hire a gentleman. And it's interesting when you look up stuff on him. I mean, I'm talking about news reports, not yeah. conspiracy theory stuff on the Internet. Last year. I guess for a few months ago, he put out a statement because of this Republican playbook of critical race theory. He sent out a communique to all the parents in the district saying proudly, 
we will not teach CRT here, blah, blah, blah. But as uh, Dr. Strickland just said, there is none of that being taught in any district in America. It isn't happening. So that's the guy that they have hired. That's the guy that the Forest Hills four members has hired a friendly spirit to their movement. Now, I'd like to, if we bring this in for a landing, this is not about Forest Hill schools. All of our listeners, you have to know this is happening. There is a Republican Party playbook. It was referenced earlier by Professor Strickler. You need to know this is going on. You got to get your eyes wide open. And now here's the final thing. And Jerry Springer, you know this better than I do. You've been a politician your whole life. you know, you've been active in politics and you've been a mayor and a city council member and a candidate for governor. You have to know how to politic. You've got to run a slate like what Wendy Strickler was on that is efficient and that you cannot and don't overload the field of candidates where the vote gets all split up. And Wendy hasn't told you, but this is a fact that was a low turnout election last November for school board in the Forest Hills district. So you've got to bust your butts to turn out your people or you will lose. And this is what will happen to you. Yeah, that's why we put this on this podcast tonight. It's bigger than Forest Hills school district. Oh, because this is happening all over the United States. This is just one microcosm. It's one example. And what Dr. Strickler is going through, there are many other professors and educators and people who are are, are just (laughs) invested in this and and they're fighting the same fight. Absolutely. And I I will say this, you you are absolutely right, Gene. It's got to be strategic because you guys mentioned earlier that elections are uh, voting is emotionally charged. And I don't think I understood the extent to which people could not see Yep. through this BS, that seems to be the term of the, of the show, of um, the evening. <laughs> through this, through logicking and asking teachers and talking to people with whom they have relationships, that this emotionally charged false narrative yep. took hold. And if it took hold here, I really believe you're right. It can happen anywhere. And if you don't get out in front of it strategically, it, what is happening is is tragic for the kids in the community and the school district, and it will be yep. repeated. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Wendy Strickler, for coming on our show tonight and bringing a uh, face uh, for Facebook Live and then a voice to this. And and Megan, we're no, we're not going to do this thing. Oh, now, now we'll bring in our musical guests here. (laughs) Thanks, Gene. (laughs) And so as a buffer, as a buffer, I want to say to my friend Jerry Springer, and I don't mean any offense because I know that you and your wife, Mickey, rent your house in Florida. I'm not going to name the city out on Airbnb. You've been doing that for years to get get some walking around money. And people love to go stay at Jerry Springer's house on Airbnb. So I want to alert you to something, Jerry. You'll pass this on to Mickey. Today, Airbnb announced that they are banning parties because what people are doing and you got to check to see if this hasn't happened to your own home they'll rent your house for a couple days and then they'll have a big ass party at your house and i mean they'll just blow out invite everybody they know like we were in college and you know they'll be in your yard urinating in your bushes and then they clean it up and so airbnb says "Uh uh-uh you can't do that so i just a word to the wise well, yeah. be careful. Uh, our security staff is having a meeting uh, uh, tomorrow morning, <laughs> and uh, there there will be there will be additional security. There will okay. be, there will well, be additional. God bless Me you, brother Springer. The same as the Supreme Court justices, we will have. There you go, extra <laughs> extra security <laughs> for you because you're special. Rational. In the whole neighborhood, <laughs> oh, you can't even get into the neighborhood. Yeah, we know, we know, we know. Anyway. Seriously, Dr. Strickler, thank you so thank much you. for being with us this evening. It was excellent to talk to you and hopefully like keep in contact with us so that we can see what's going on later. Um, Let you know when you. we swing out the other side. There you go. Yeah. There you go. It was a pleasure. And then uh, 
for the rest of our evening tonight, we have back with us Josh Bettis. Hey, Josh, what's hey, up, man? Josh. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going? He's a he's a Kentucky boy from another country. <laughs> we had Josh with us last week. Um, he is from Wales, uh, but he certainly sounds like he could be right from the bluegrass. Um, his song this evening is going to be City Lights. So, Josh, tell us about this song. Um. Basically, I don't enjoy cities very much. I like being out in the green and amongst the trees and next to rivers. Uh, given that I'm a songwriter and I sing, I do occasionally have to visit these places. <laughs> 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 but um, I always um, enjoy the feeling when I'm coming back across the border into Wales and being welcomed home by all the green and the, the scenery in the countryside. countryside. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's a song about this. And um, I thought it'd be fun to put a live version of it in. I have got a full studio version on the EP, but this is a live one I did from a session. And uh, I thought that'd be quite a fun twist to put on it as well. Excellent. Well, <laughs> this is Josh Bettis with City Lights. Mm -hmm. Jump aboard a southbound train Had no money to my name Dirty shirt and no guitar Son, you won't get very far Trying to ride the rails Headed east to look for fame Try my best to make a name Found a bottle, lost my pride Lonely track I'll ride Trying to get back home Missed the life I left behind This city is unkind Wander nameless through the nights Lost in the neon lights Trying to belong Now I miss that country air And now I long to be back there Far away from the city lights Lay me down in an open sky Not cut out the city life Where nobody has the time And the people pass you by Chasing dollar signs On the old red brace So I'll ride all day and night Till I see those southern pines Rolling hills and crooked streams Grass never looks so green Boys, I think I'm home Now I miss that country air Long to be back there Far away from the city lights Lay me down in an open sky Again, that was Josh Bettis. Thank you so much, Josh. That was fantastic. Thank you, Josh. Uh, thank you for having me on and playing my songs to everybody and talking to me and all that good stuff. So, got to say, it's a real trip. Great guy. Play with us. <laughs> Go whales. Go whales. <laughs> Josh, <bit>. tell, <laughs> tell us where we can hear more of your music, sir. So, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Bandcamp, Amazon, all the streaming sites I got, really. Excellent. Um, YouTube. <laughs> Excellent. And make the sure wild uh, the wild and wonderful <laughs> internet of music. 
And we want to thank again, Dr. Wendy Strickler for being on this evening. It was an excellent conversation. Thank you very much for your insight. Um, while you're looking up Josh and Dr. Strickler, please make sure that you're also looking up Ambient Studios and the Jerry Springer podcast, Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery. We'll be back here next week for you. So check us out on iTunes, uh, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your music. And we're going to have Jerry take you out with Arlo McKinney with Down by the River. Do we have the words? Oh, my gosh. You sing this every week. Down by the Riverside. Down oh. by the Riverside. Down by the Riverside. <laughs> <laughs>